0: 12 And the word of the Lord says this Not many of you should presume to become teachers my brothers for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness for we all stumble in many ways and if anyone does not stumble in what he says he is a perfect man able to able also to bridle his whole body if we put bits into the mouth of horses so that they obey us we guide their whole bodies as well look at the ships also though they are so large Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. May we be blessed by the reading of God's word this morning. You may be seated.
1: As Jerry was reading those names, it brought me to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 is the hall of faith part of our Bible where the writer of Hebrews just lists these godly men and women that forged the way for us. And for us, that list of men and women forged the way for our church as well. And I'm grateful for those, uh, not just names, but every name has a story and every story has a person that's attached to it. And I'm grateful for those men and women and their stories that uh, led um, their in a faithful way to the Lord to, to allow us to be here this morning. Just a few announcements, then we'll jump into God's Word, and then we'll go eat together. Um, as Jared said, there is no children's church this morning, uh, but next Sunday on the 7th will be our move-up day for our children, so that's when you go to the next class. If you're going into 6th grade, you will then go into the youth group. Um, that will also be Brother Joshua's first Sunday with us. Though he's with us this morning, that's his first official start date is next Sunday. So uh, please invite your friends and invite your neighbors uh, as we move up uh, and begin our youth ministry through uh, Brother Joshua. Thank you again for being here this morning. Lastly, uh, these flowers that are in front of me, what a beautiful uh, bouquet of flowers. They are a memory of Bruce and Mary Alice Short, that's uh, Jerry's and Patty's mother and father, they served faithfully here uh, for a long, long time. Uh, Brother Bruce would have been 100 years old on July 19th, so this is in, in memory of them this morning. So thank you for whoever brought the flowers this morning. Let me pray for us, and then again we'll jump into James chapter 3. If you have a Bible, turn there as I am praying. God, we ask that you would do what only you can do through the work of the Holy Spirit. And that is bring uh, first, if there's anyone in this room that does not know you as their Lord and Savior, we ask that you would bring justification to their lives, that they would surrender their life to you as their Lord and Savior. For us that are in this room this morning that know you, we pray that your word would do what only it can do, and that's bring us sanctification, that it would make us more And more like your Son, as your word says, let us be holy, for you are holy. It's only by the washing of your word in our lives and through our lives that we can become holy. And so that's what we ask for this morning. Again, we offer our lives to you as a living and holy sacrifice. Do your perfect and pleasing will through us. I pray this in the mighty name of Christ Jesus. Amen. If you have been with us, we're walking through... Uh, The the letter of James. James is the um, younger brother of Jesus. And James takes a lot of his older brother's words and now is writing really one of the first commentaries uh, that the known world has ever heard or read read, uh, about Jesus' words from the Sermon on the Mount. The the letter of James is an, an instructive letter of how we are to live out our faith. And so what we would say is this. That faith is a gift from God, but the gift of God then must work itself out. We have to have faith given to us by God, but now we are entrusted with this faith, and it must lead us to works. It's not our works that lead to our faith. It's our free gift from God that gives us faith, but our lives ought to look different because of the faith that has been entrusted to us. And so James's whole uh, five chapters are, is about that thing. Faith plus works. So do you and do I, the challenge for us as we read God's word, we read the letter of James, is do I have a faith that is actually at work? Because if I don't have a faith that's at work, then I would submit to you this morning, you may have no faith at all. Because if you encounter a holy God, and that holy God implants his son into your life, and you are to be changed, your life ought to change. This is what James is going to tell us over and over and over again. And so he's saying to us in very large brush strokes in the first two chapters, you have to have faith in works, and now he gets into the nitty-gritty. It's like, oh, James, come on, man, you could have just kept doing broad strokes for me because I can fly under the radar with broad strokes. But when God and through his Holy Spirit begins to put his finger onto my heart and begins to prick at my heart, I'm like, "Uh uh-oh. And that's what he's going to do here. He started that in chapter 1. Remember what we talked about in chapter 1. This is what it says. James is finishing the first chapter, and he says this in James chapter 1. If anyone thinks he is religious, or thinks he's godly, or thinks he has something. He James says this: Let him bridle his tongue. Let him watch over his mouth. And now he takes this long pause through chapter two, and he's just like, like letting that marinate. It's kind of like one of those moments as a child. I, I mean, I'm not going to judge you if you do this. I try not to do this. And remember when you were in trouble by your mom, and your mom would say, "Wait till your dad gets home." It's like one of those moments in the text. James is going to throw something out there and then he's going to wait as it marinates and he's going to come back and punch us with it. Remember what I said when we talked about that. It's easy for us to come to this passage and to this passage and say, oh man, my words are clean. But James is not just talking about the words that come out of our mouth, but as we know, it's the words that start in our hearts. And so I ask you this morning, don't come to this text and say, say to yourself, man, I have great speech. And yet if we could examine your heart, that speech would not be so great, if we're honest. That is what James is going to say to us this morning. Do you remember growing up and hearing this? I guess it's a nursery rhyme. It seems really harmful and brutal to me. But remember the nursery rhyme? Sticks and stones may." but words will never hurt me. James is going to debunk that. James is going to come after us and say, no, sticks and stones, they may break my bones, but words are even more deadlier than sticks and stones. You see, I, I've got the great privilege of, of working with men and women from all over the world that come with a lot of hurts. And most of the hurts that people come and they sit in my office to talk about, are not the physical hurts hurts that have been caused to them. It's the emotional wounds that have been given to them by their parents or caregivers or authority figures. And that is why James is going to say to us this morning, out of the gates, be watchful for what you say. Because it has lasting effects. Many people that come into my office, it only took one or two phrases to set their life in the course of their life, in a way they never thought would happen. Words that were spoken over them or to them that maybe the person that said them had no idea what they were saying, but it altered the course of their life forever. That is what James is going to say because sticks and stones, they may break my bones, but words will always hurt me is what James is going to say to us. So now he's going to start off by telling us about taming the tongue. Now, of all the places that James could go after first and foremost. How come he would go after the tongue first and foremost? How, how come not actions? How come not murder? How come not stealing? How come you lay in all the commandments? I believe James is going to reference all the way back to the first sin That was ever committed after Adam and Eve ate of the fruit. What was done? It was words spoken by Adam. Remember what happened when Adam and Eve eat the fruit. And God shows up on the picture. God shows up and begins to confront their sin. And remember what Adam did. He began to speak out loud blasphemy and heresy against God Almighty. And so James is going to say to us. And we look at Jesus' words. Everything that comes out of us starts where? The heart or the mind. Like you don't just one day snap. That's not how it works. Your brain just doesn't snap. It's like those things that you're pondering in your brain. You know that voice. Those are called words. They may never come out of your mouth. But man, they are taking over the brain, are they not? That is what James is saying to us this morning. So we must start there. Remember what Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 12, verse 34. He's talking to the Pharisees. He's going after the religious of the religious. And he says to them, you brood of vipers. You can speak good. How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of what? The abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So this morning, it's not about your mouth. The test will be for all of us in the room about our hearts. This is a heart check this morning. So let us examine our hearts. It's what Paul says in Romans chapter 3. Remember in Romans chapter 3, Paul is giving this great discourse about what it means to live a godly life. But then he says this in Romans chapter 3. He says, for no one's good. No, not one. All are evil. All have abandon God, basically. But then he says this right after, that amazing passage. He says this in verse 13 and 14. Now, why would he say all are evil, none are good, no one seeks God, and then these are his next words. Romans chapter 3, verse 13. Their throats are open graves. They use their tongues to deceive the venom of Asper under their lips. Their mouths are full of curses and bitterness. You see, even Paul got it. He understood that out of the heart, the mouth will speak. So now James is going to tell us four things. He's going to give us four things for us to look at when it comes to taming the tongue. These are four reasons that we must tame the tongue. Because the first one is this. We are accountable for everything that we say. And I don't mean just say, but I mean say. Let me say that again. Every word that goes through your brain from the the, the back half to the frontal lobe, any of those words that are exchanged, you're accountable to those. Not just the words that come out of your mouth. So we're accountable. The second is this. The tongue has great power. The third is this. The tongue is untamable. And last one, the inconsistencies of our tongue. So let's dive into this passage. You know, it's one of those places when I come to God's word, I'm like, really? Really, God, that's how I'm going to have to start this morning? Because this is what he says. This is what James starts right off the gate. Not many of you should become teachers. And what am I doing this morning? I'm teaching. I'm like, oh, really great. This is going to go well for me this morning. And, And here's the deal we can look at this passage and we can come and say this is for the preacher this is for the youth pastor this is for the sunday school path the sunday school teacher this is for the guy that writes the book or the woman that b- writes the book but that is not simply the case this is for every single believer because if god's word is true what he spoke through jesus to us In Matthew chapter 28, the Great Commission, remember what Jesus said. He says this in verse 19. He says, therefore, you, the believer, go and make disciples in all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now catch verse 20. Teaching them to observe all that I've shown you. So if you're a believer here this morning... This text applies to you. Not just me. It's really easy for us to sit in a pew and come to this text and point the finger at the pastor. But we must point those three other fingers back at ourselves. You, if you are a Christ follower this morning, if you claim to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are commanded by God, not suggested by God, to teach the word of God. That that means you are to teach it in your homes. You are to teach it in your school. You are to teach it everywhere you go. Why? So that we can make disciples in all nations. So this passage is not just for me. It is for you as well. So the first thing is this. We are accountable to everything that we say. We will be held liable for every thought, every word that comes out of us. This is what Jesus says. He says this. James is going to say it. He says, so this is for you, the teacher. For we know that we teach, will be judged with greater strictness. Now, there is part of that passage that is for me as a pastor, that I take this very serious as a pastor teacher. Because here's the deal. And I I don't say this in, in, uh, in a place of pride. I say this as a place of God has placed a special call on my life as a pastor. I received it at 18 years old when I was in Virginia at a camp. I felt the hand of God fall in my life and say, I want you to teach God's word to my people. And so I don't take this passage lightly at all. But here's the deal with that passage. It's because of this. I spent hours and hours and hours in the text. And because of that, I could come up here and wield God's word in ways that you would have no idea how I'm wielding it. And I could do you great harm because there's about 50 of you staring at one man. So I can say a lot of things and you'd probably take it for gospel truth and walk out of here with. I would say this, don't ever take anything that I say as the gospel truth unless I'm actually reading the gospel message. Be a Berean, as Paul says. Go examine everything for yourself that I say. Because here's the deal. I'm a flawed human being with a flawed brain. And so you take everything that I say and go and, and scour the text for yourself because here's what's true. And I know there will be a day that I sit before the judgment seat of Christ and I have to give an account for every single word that I spoke from this pulpit or any other pulpit. And that gives me great trepidation. If you wanna know why, why do I spend hours in God's word? It's because I know I will have to give an account for every word that I speak from God's holy word. I pray that would be true for you. Here's another way that we know this to be true. James goes on and says, hey, here's the reason that you'll have to give an account. He says it this way in verse 2. Or we all stumble in many ways. Or we all sin in various ways. Is how it is read in the Greek. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. Now, that word perfect does not mean blameless. That perfect means he is mature. He's matured in his aging. He's matured in his understanding of God's word. He is able to bridle his whole body. And so here's the deal. You will give an account for everything that you say. And here's the deal. You will stumble in many ways. And so in your stumbling, you will say and do things that are sinful. Unless I'm the only guy in the room. You might have done that on your drive over here. I don't know how. I know driving home from Antioch at 930 last night. There was things that were flying through my head. I'm like, man, I don't want to teach this passage tomorrow. Like there were some crazy drivers. But I'm going to have to give an account for even those words. But this is what James is saying. He is picking up on what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 12, verse 36 thirty-seven, I tell you, this is with authority, he is saying that. I tell you, with great authority, on the judgment day, people will give an account for what? Every careless word that they speak. For by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. That's the first reason we tame the tongue. Because we will be held accountable for every thought and word that comes out of our mouth. Therefore, let us practice repentance. I'll get to that at the application. The next is this. Not only are we accountable for our tongues, but the tongue has great power. He says in verse 3 through 5. Let me read that to you. If we put bits in the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also, though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a small rudder wherever the will of the the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. Two illustrations that James shows us, the power of the tongue. The power of the tongue, how how small the tongue is compared to all the other body parts. And so he's going to give these two illustrations. The first is the bit in a horse's mouth. I did some research. I'm not a horse. I don't like horses. They terrify me. Uh, anything that has an eye bigger than my whole head, I'm not jumping on the back of it. I'm just saying. Like when you look at the eye of a horse and it can see your whole face, that, you don't jump on those things. Uh, they're powerful, powerful, powerful creatures. But here's the deal with a, a bit. You know, the, the average size of a bit for a horse is only five inches long. You know, the average size of a horse is five feet. That's another thing. If you're if you're almost as, if your head is over my head, I'm not jumping on your back. It's just not not going to happen. But a horse the average size horse is about five stands about five feet tall and weighs 800 to 1200 pounds. And yet, think of the power that that little bit has in the mouth of a horse. You know, we, we could put Krista, who's a very small child on the back of a horse, if that horse has a bit in its mouth, that young lady, because she goes to horse classes, right? I don't know what they're called. Equestrian classes. Is that what they're called? I don't know either. We'll just go with it, Krista. If we put little Krista on the back of the horse and gave her the reins of the horse with a bit in its mouth, Krista can make that horse do almost anything. That's how much the power of the tongue has. The next thing he says is this. Not only is it like a bit in the horse's mouth, it's also like a rudder. Now again, I don't like horses, and I don't really love water. I get really seasick. So two things I'm staying away from. But James has to talk about it. Like how you did it for years and years and being on a submarine, I would have never done that. You couldn't pay me enough money to do that. But he now goes to the rudder. He says the same holds true about the rudder of our ship. Now I want you to think how Massive a ship is. Now, in comparison to the whole ship, the rudder is a very small, small component of that ship, is it not? But what happens? And there's this. Uh, there's a great uh, submarine. I read this this week as I was studying. There's this great submarine in World War II. In World War II, the Nazis had uh, had this massive submarine that was going to into the shores of France to begin to bomb just annihilate France and there was nothing that that France or the the allies could do because of this massive submarine and so they bombed it and bombed it and bombed it but because of how massive it was and how much armor it had it just kept rolling out as if nothing was happening to it now I don't think it was luck but there was this one aircraft that was flying over that had a torpedo that torpedo hit where the rudder of this massive submarine and it said that once it hit and destroyed the rudder this massive unsinkable ship just went in circles and because it was going in circles it could no longer go after what it was attacking and therefore the allied forces were able to now converge on it and totally destroy it and so james is saying to us the example is these Things, a, a bit in a horse's mouth, the udder of a ship, they are small, but they have great power. And now he says, your tongue is the same. Your tongue has great power. This is what the writer of Proverbs says about the power of the tongue. The power of the tongue is this, and i this, this doesn't just mean power in the sense of, harshness. This is also mean, in the sense of praise. Like your, your tongue, as much devastation as it can bring, it can also bring much glory to God and God's people. So it's not just powerful through destruction. He's going to talk about destruction in this next section. He's also saying you have the power to bring life to people. Simple words can bring so much life and encouragement to people. This is what the writer of proverbs says in proverbs chapter 12 verse 18 there's one who has harsh words like a sword that thrust now think about this for a moment this this is the illustration what if all of us in here and i'm not a swordsman but we all I, I, you walked in this morning and jack handed everyone a sharp double-edged sword and you were to just start wielding it however you wanted to wield it you know how much harm we do to one another A lot of harm but that's what the writer James is saying to us we have that sharp double-edged sword in our tongue that if it goes unchecked it can do great harm but now this is what the writer of Proverbs is gonna say that same tongue that can bring harsh words and bring destruction can also bring what he says but the tongue of the wise brings what healing so the writer of Proverbs is saying, "This tongue that you have, that's sharp, can do a lot of devastation and destruction to mankind. But if it's used properly, it can bring a ton of healing to people." Man, are we not in a day and age that we need sharp tongues to bring healing instead of destruction? I get one amen. Let me just say that one more time because that, that's that's a worthy amen. What if in today's day We had sharp tongues that would bring healing to people instead of devastation to people. Amen. How often we, even the believer, are using our tongues for devastation. I'm not talking about the world. They're going to do what they're going to do. The world is not going to bring healing to people. James is going to say that in a moment. But What if the church that stands on the gospel of Jesus, would take God's word and begin to speak it over God's people and lost people, how much healing we would see in a divided nation. We need to be the instrument with our tongues to bring healing to people. Again, let me read that passage. There's one whose harsh words are like a sword thrust, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Let us be wise men and women. Two more points and then I'll finish. The next is this. The tongue is untamable. Let's read that in James chapter 3, 5 through 8. This is 5b. He says this, he's going to give two illustrations about how the tongue is untamable. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire and the tongue is a fi- the, the tongue is a fire a world of unrighteousness the tongue is set among our members staining the whole body setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell for every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind but no human being can tame the tongue it is a restless evil full of Deadly poison. So the, tame is unta- the tongue is untamable. He gives two illustrations of forest fire. A forest fire, as you all know, starts by what? One small spark. The, the great fire in the 1800s in Chicago, if you know about that great that devastated the city of Chicago, does anyone know how it started? It started by a woman going to milk her cow and the cow kicked over the lantern. That's a small fire. But that small fire got out of control and consumed a ton. I think it's 240 people died in that fire. That one small flame kicked over by a cow devastated a city. Think about in in, uh, the, uh, the early 80s. And it's still true today. If you watch the news in the last two, three years, all the arsonists that go out and set small fires on the hillside of California. It's just one cigarette butt or one untamed fire at a campsite that will just devastate thousands and thousands and thousands of acres and displaces people. You see, here's the deal about a forest fire. There's nothing that can stop a forest fire. A forest fire is going to do what it's going to do. It's going to go where it's going to go. And unlike anything else, a fire, if it has the right amount of oxygen and the right amount of material that's combustible, will continue to grow and grow and grow and grow and grow and and become unstoppable. The best that we can do is tame a fire, like like corral a fire. But even then, a fire is going to do what a fire is going to do. And that's what James is saying. The same way that a forest fire goes untamed, so is the words that come out of your mouth. One commentator says this, and this is scientifically proven, that you can take one word and it can be spoken, and they could have a machine that can travel that sound wave to all of eternity. It never stops reverberating. So one word goes on for eternity. Now, I want you to think for a moment how many words that you've spoken that you wish you could take back. And science tells us, not only God's word, but science alone tells us, you cannot take back a spoken word. Which means you also can't take back a spoken word in your own heart. It's a seed that is planted. And without confession, it will grow and grow and grow and grow. Then James says this, not only if you don't understand that it's like a forest fire, it's also like a tamed, an untamed animal. He says it this way. He says, you know, there there are animals, and I, I, I would never do this. Anyone gone to the circus? One person? Oh, my word. Like, what happened to the circus? Is it lost? Is it gone? Let me try that again. Who's been to the circus? All right. Sea World? You, you know, the, those people... Or Vegas, the, uh, these two dudes are crazy. They wonder why they got their face involved. Well, you're in a cage with lions. Like, you, you think th- bad things are going to happen. But anyway, James says this. The same way that you can tame an animal, and we've tamed animals. You, anyone have a dog? Like, if I brought my dog in here, I tell her to sit. She, that's tame. She'll sit. And he says, you can tame every beast of the world. But there's one animal that cannot be tamed. What's that, he says? He says it's the tongue. Humans, we can tame. I mean, I I read again this week. Again, why you would do this? I don't know. This woman tamed a cobra to be able to kiss it on its mouth. Like Like, that's just nasty to begin with. Snakes are nasty. Why would you want to kiss a snake to begin with? Or like tame a lion or tame, like you go to SeaWorld and these big old animals are jumping through rings. It's like we can tame everything. But James says, there's one that cannot be tamed by man. That is the tongue. Now here's the beauty of this passage. I want to read the passage again. Because there's hope in this passage. Because when you come to this passage, it can sound like there's no hope in the passage. But he says this in verse 7, For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creatures can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being, Can tame the tongue. You see that's the important part of this passage. It doesn't say that the tongue cannot be tamed. It just says that humans cannot tame the tongue. Therefore the, 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 the question within the statement is this. Then if humans can't tame it. Who can tame it? God can tame it. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that God can tame your tongue, it comes through what? The same way that you tame an animal. That animal has to come into what? Submission to the owner. And so if you want a tame tongue, you and I must come into submission of the one who made the tongue. And therefore, the one who made it knows how to tame it, and therefore we must live in submission to him. So if you don't have a tame tongue, I'd say this, you're not living in submission to the creator of the tongue itself. The next one is this, and the last one. I mean, I hope this is better than the food you're about to eat. I know the food's going to be good, but I hope this is good too. The last one is this, the inconsistency of our tongue. James says this, let me remind you how inconsistent you are. He says this in verse 9 through 12. He says, with it, the tongue, we bless our Lord and our Father, and with it we curse people who are made in His likeness. And now he's going to ask a few questions. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can salt ponds yield fresh water. He says this, he's asked three obvious questions. And the obvious answer is what to each of those? No. No. No, a spring cannot bring forth both fresh and salt water. No. Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear, bear olives? No. Can grapes bear figs? No. And what James is saying is, is this neither ought you be able to do both as well but we do both do we not we both bless god and sing worship songs and if we're honest with ourselves today we will leave here and sometime between this worship service and you lay your head on your pillow you will bring both blessing and cursing and james says let us not be inconsistent but let us be consistent. Here's what one writer says. Then I'll read one more passage. He says this. You want to know why your life and why your mouth is inconsistent? This writer says this. The mouth is simply the opening that vents whatever's in the heart. If there's raw sewage in the heart, there will be raw sewage gushing from the mouth. The mouth Is simply the opening that vents whatever is in your heart. This is why Proverbs says this in Proverbs 4.23. If it is true that our mouths are the vent of the heart, then we must do what the Proverbs writer says. We must therefore keep our heart with all vigilance. That word vigilance means we must be super watchful. We ought to have no blind spots. So if you're going to be a man or a woman that has a consistent mouth, you must keep your what? Not your mouth with all vigilance, but your heart with all vigilance. Because he says this, from it the heart flows what? Springs of life. So I would submit to you this morning... You guard your heart and does your mouth flow springs of life onto people? Three things of application as we close this morning. The first is this remember that we will be held accountable for every single word that comes into our minds and comes out of our mouths. Therefore, we must practice repentance. Repentance will show our neediness. To a God that can tame the tongue. The second is this. We must remember the tongue is a powerful, powerful tool. And it can bring both harm and life. But it must be in submission to the one who created it. Is your life in submission to the one that created your tongue? And the last is this. Let us, church, be consistent on how we talk to each other and speak praise over one another as we sing praise to God. Let us tame our tongue through submission to the one who created the tongue. Let me pray.